You a mechanic? No, ma'am. What do you do? Not a whole lot. Hi, I'm Daryl. And I'm Petros. And welcome to episode three, season two of Getting Defoe You. Where from Heaven's Gate to the present day, join us as we get to know Willem Defoe in this dedicated Defoe podcast. So here we are. It's episode three. We've had a banging start to the season, if I say so myself. We've Spider-Maned, we've Budapest Hoteled, and now here we are for something a little bit earlier, a little bit different. It's The Loveless from 1981. Ooh. That motorbike is riding all the way out from the Grand Budapest Hotel to a little truck stop, and we're going to be riding to sunset, baby. That's what that's what we're doing. We're kind of this is the podcast that gives you the whole the whole spectrum of Defoe, right? We're, we've kind of we've we've something modern now. We're going to his first starring vehicle, pun intended. Rum rum. <laughs> we've gone from Goblin Glider to to double motorbike. In fact, there's a little bit of a. A tenuous link between the episodes there and also you know one of the things that i think we do cover quite uh quite ad in the episode double leather defoe defoe's been a leather daddy your defoe daddies and your leather daddy it's a big daddy jamboree baby oh, we and said it's the sexy for. season well we weren't lying ladies and gentlemen season two defoe <laughs> the, the, the focal motion's getting sexy Tell me when I'm telling lies, uh, and you'll find none in this season, let me tell you. <laughs> season one, I didn't tell a single truth. Everything was a lie in season one. Season two <laughs> is the sexy truth season. This was uh, a, a delightful little episode. We go back to, like I say, the early, early days of Defoe, the first starring role. We're talking all about Defoe being a leather-clad daddy. We're talking about the price of Coca-Cola back in the 1950s. We might have a few David Lynch impressions in there for you as well. It all makes sense when you listen to the episode because we're giving you the whole gamut of emotion. That's what we do here <laughs> on Getting the Foe You. But if you want to talk about Coke and leather, your Coke of choice, whatever, we're on various social medias. Petros, where the devil can we be found? You can find us if you enjoy this episode we have coming up for you with the fantastic Chris Johnston of the Easy Riders Raging podcast on all the socials, as Daryl said, that are Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or at Pod. Or if you want to drop us an email, you can do so, which is DefoeUPod at gmail.com. Lovely stuff. So get involved, get on the Defoe commotion train. You know, we're only just kicking this thing into gear in season two. And with that said, let's get our leather jackets on. Let's rev up our bloody hogs and let's fly on down that highway to the loveless. So we'll catch you on the other side. But for now, enjoy. Ta. Getting to follow you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. This week, we ride on into town for Defoe's first feature film endeavour with 1981's The Loveless. 
Defoe plays Vance, the leader of a biker gang who falls in love on the way to the races in Daytona, baby. Now helping us get to know Defoe a little better this week and see if the loveless should be loved more or if love less is just better is Chris Johnston of the Easy Riders Raging Podcast. Chris, how the devil are you doing? It's fantastic to be here. <laughs> Have you, you rode in? Have you polished up your Harleys? Is your... Is your hog repaired <laughs> for the endeavours ahead? I can't move on till it's repaired. That's that's just the yeah. situation I'm in. How's your flick knife in? Are you, are you throwing it at a French shoe? As we speak, I know I've got my switchblade ready. Who whose foot whose foot's under the under the target first, boys? It's it's currently in in, in my sofa, just stabbed in the sofa for dramatic effect. <laughs> and most importantly, do you have your own name in, inscribed onto a belt buckle? <laughs> <laughs> it did occur to me. It's like, oh, I should I should come dressed in leathers. I don't own any leathers, but like I like the idea yeah. of quite often when I guest on a podcast, you think, oh, I should dress up. I never have, but I always like always tickled by the idea of it. One one day I will. <laughs> it would it would just be a nightmare to edit if we're all in leather, just like <laughs> editing out the squeaks. Do you know what I mean? As we're kind of like moving in our chairs in leather trousers and jackets. <laughs> yeah, so what I thought about the film. <laughs> I mean, it'd be good if we were all wearing the sort of veto cap, though. That'd be funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or do you just come as Tarva, the sweatiest man alive? Do you know what I mean? If, if one of us was just on this call with like drenched hair and like, <laughs> like just streams of water down the face <laughs> uh, i just got out of the shower like half an hour before but recording i should have just like not dried my hair and, like, <laughs> even even though there's no benefit to the listener because this is an audio platform but in spirit you would have yeah. known that was uh the real spirit of the 1950s greaser subculture and we should have, we should have all coordinated leather as we just mm. slowly sweating away and it just gets a little bit tighter and our breath gets a little bit shorter. <laughs> We're just more and more strained. Daddy! As in just, that's the way we go out. <laughs> but un- unsexy leather aside, or sexy leather, depending on your perspective, let's get into a few little Defoe-based questions. So anytime we have a guest on the podcast, especially a new guest, to getting Defoe you, what we want to know is, Chris, how well do you know Defoe, what's your Defoe history? And with that, uh, do you recall your first Defoe? How many Defoe? Your views on Defoe? Uh, what's, what are you saying with all that Defoe knowledge and goodness in the world? Well, he's your classic guy because I always I think like, oh, my first encounter with him was probably, it's probably Spider-Man. That's the, the one I remember. But then you go to the, go to the Wikipedia page, look through, look through his CV I was amazed he's not German. I was convinced he was a German guy. You know? I can't believe he's not German. Mm. <laughs> and, and his name's not even Will, Willem. It's Will, William. William James Defoe. Yeah. Mm. He, he, he just wanted Willem because it sound. he wanted a nickname. That, that, can, can we talk about that for a second? I don't think we've addressed this on the podcast. You can't ask for a nickname, can you? You can't just go around, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm in search of a nickname. Have you done that, Daryl? Or Daddio, as I said, I, would, I only refer to Daryl as Daddio for this whole podcast. I've stumbled at the first hurdle. I think for a time I did try to get the nickname uh, Double D Dangerous Delicious Dynamite Diamond Boy Daryl Edge off the ground. Didn't really fly. Uh, not good for branding. So so people just call me autistic, and that seems to be what stuck. So yeah, but no, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard one. What about yourself, Chris? Have you ever tried to instigate a nickname? No, well, I remember when I went, because where I grew up, everyone called me John or Johnny. 
you know, off the surname, you know, not, not, not necessarily the prophylactic. But yeah, I remember when I went to university, because I'd say, oh, I'd introduce myself as that. And it just confused people because, I don't know, if it doesn't happen organically. So on the Isle of Wight would be John, on the mainland, Chris. So yeah, because I, I tried to carry it across because I was quite happy with that as a nickname, but didn't stick. And you, you can't make these things stick. Yeah, yeah, I've been yeah. Yeah, I've like for the longest time because my listeners know you guys know my name is Petros and like uh, friends and family call me Pet and like that has like got me into so many weird situations where people are like, "Why do they call you Pet? Is it because you're from Newcastle?" And I'm like, "Do I fucking sound like I'm from Newcastle? No shade to the people of Newcastle, but when you think of a when you think of a Geordie, you do not expect to hear this voice. Do you know what I mean, I'm not going to. Go, oh, hey, hey, man, hey, how you doing? <laughs> now there is some disrespect to the people of of, of Newcastle with that accent. Yeah. We joke about this off record, but our our um. Our Twitter uh, apps note apology is coming so quick this season. <laughs> we, we are riding such a dicey line, playing chicken with oncoming angry dads down the roads of, of the uh, various US motorways. I don't know. I, th- I think, you know, we're, I think on the Twitter, we're trying to go with uh, the Defoe daddies, probably apt for this film as well. Yes. Has it stuck yet? We're working on it. I think, because I think, as a general rule of thumb, I think podcasts should be sexier a little bit, not too much. That's why we should have all been in leather, right? <laughs> that is basically why we all should have been. Yeah. <laughs> why we all should have been in leather. I or at least have... stripping in underwear that you never take off. <laughs> mm. I'm trying to think. I've... I've got pink pants on right now. And somebody did remark on them when I went to the toilet. Like They dragged me out and went, I've got one. I've got one of these fancy boys. <laughs> as, I, as, as I had my little pink pants on. So, yeah. So, oh, I, I'm somewhat in, in spirit with the film. <laughs> who of us hasn't had a communist commie fight in a in a bar bathroom <laughs> you know we've all been there just by trying to shoot some pool um hit on the old jukebox get a 10 cent coke from the machine what a time to be alive a 10 cent coke incredible i used to have this like a toy when i was i don't know single digit ages it's like a little um cabri's sort of like slot machine basically but you put like fudges in it it was like a caveman i had to give it 20p so i was breaking even every time i was like well i'll just take it back thinking back it was actually just a massive inconvenience to me just eating chocolate (laughs) a ridiculous invention but i was i was kind of thinking like if i was around you know in that time would i have got a leather jacket greased my hair to the side and just like lent up against the coca-cola machine yes i it's amazing Yeah, yeah. I would have no teeth. Do you know what I mean? If there's 10 cents for Coke, <laughs> I'd just be like, I'd be sucking them down like there's no tomorrow. I, I did rock the rock the leather jacket for a few years. I remember getting one when I was about 17. So 17 to 19, that was my, my sort of warmer coat. So I, I, I wasn't sort of slick back and cool. I was just, yeah. Be like that and a Fantastic Four t-shirt. It's not quite, you know, the Fonz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wearing your heart on your sleeve. Yeah. You know, you you were showing the people what you were all about. Was so it? Did, did we nail down, Chris? What was the first Defoe? Was it Spider-Man or was there something before that? Uh, I worked out Platoon I would have seen before that. Uh, so it would have been that. Although I watched that once when I was sort of in my teens. I didn't even remember he was in it, to be honest. Which is no shade in his performance in the film, because I'm sure he's great, because he's always great. But that's... You know, looking at the timeline, I'm, I think that's the number one. I think that's what we call on the podcast Defoe Bingo. 
yeah. right there. It, it's a running joke at this point, but we say if anyone comes to us and has the audacity, let's be honest, to say it wasn't Spider-Man or Platoon, we end the episode there. <laughs> we we will not collaborate with a liar. We're waiting for somebody to say it's the Loveless. Yeah, I was there, man. Do you know what I mean? Like smoking a cigarette. I was I was there. I was there before. I was hip to like the foe, man. You know, we won't we won't stand for, for it for liars. But obviously, on the back of that, you know, like I'm going to say, probably like 98 percent of the population, the intro point is Splatoon and or Spider Man, and sort of as your sort of Defoe viewing has expanded. Has it expanded since then? That you. Uh, you sort of know how much Defoe you've kept up with since uh, the glorious year of 2002. Well, in prep for this, I did sit down, look at the thing and do a quick quick head count. And it did come to about 30. But he's, he's the master of that. He's the master of being in tons of films that you... I guess because he's kind of... He's like a, a like a master supporting actress. Actress? Actor? Although I'm sure he's got the range. He can do the what? Do the yeah, lot. yeah, yeah. Boondock Saints. He does cross-dress. So, mm. so we've got, we've got that to look forward to. Yeah. But like he, he snuck into to most films you've seen. You know, he's got that kind of mm-hmm. angle. Like, like he's he's in my. I've been using Letterbox since start twenty twenty, and he's in. I'm sure he's in my top top actor. You know, top performers seen ever, and he's the one that in some ways makes the least sense because you see like all lot of Marvel people or Tom Cruise or you know people known for for big franchises. Defoe mm-hmm. sneaks in there because he's just he's just in everything and he's worked with everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the fact that he has those guys he works with again and again, so it's like if you kind of watch, if you keep up to date with Wes Anderson, it's like, well, your numbers are going to creep up pretty quickly. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. Yeah, th- this is kind of uh, the, the joy of this as well because we say like comparable to a Nicolas Cage, which like a prolific filmography and there's going to be at least in most cases, 70, 80 films you've never heard of, never knew he was anything to do with. Certainly The Loveless for me, being one of those 70, 80 plus today. Uh, And that is the film that we're here to talk about, The Loveless. And I think it's time that we pass over to Petros Patsilovas for this week's De Facts and De Figures. Oh, have I got some De Facts and De Figures for you. So The Loveless was directed and written by Catherine Bigelow and Monty Montgomery. The film stars Marin Cantor, Robert Gordon, J. Donald Ferguson, and our very own Lever Daddy, Willem Dafoe. The film was released at the Locarno Film Festival on the 7th of August 1981, before bouncing around a few North American film festivals until receiving a New York release only on the 20th of January 1984. This was made on a budget of $800,000. Has a box office return of who fucking knows and currently has an IMDb score of 6.1 out of 10, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 73% with 11 reviews and an audience score of 60% with 500 plus ratings in light of no critic consensus we go to jeff andrew of timeouts review from 2005 which reads at times the perversely slow beat of each scene can irritate but that's a reasonable price for this film's super saturated atmosphere our first defoe sighting is at two minutes and nine seconds after the opening credits as he combs his hair on the side of the road and his first line is man i was what you call ragged i mean way beyond torn up i wasn't going to be no man's friend today 
been out of storage a few years now, and to me, this endless blacktop is the sweet eternity. I knew I was going to hell in a bread basket. And that is the defects and the figures. Oh, yes, indeedy, daddy. Oh, those are the facts and the figures. So the Loveless... Uh, it's about a night in, in the 1950s, a biker gang on their way to the races in Daytona when they stop at a small southern town, a little diner, meet some inhabitants, meet some love interests perhaps, and hilarity slash sadness ensues. And also, 10 cent coke, baby. I can't, I can't stress that enough. Inflation is killing us out here. <laughs> so this is one, you know, we were talking about earlier about, you know, movies that you don't really know that Defoe is in. And I was sort of thinking that this is his first sort of credited feature. Uh, he had appeared sort of uncredited in Heaven's Gate prior to this. And he's one of those guys, I, I think, as well, where you, you kind of feel like he's been around forever. And then you see something like The Loveless, where, you know, given the youthfulness of the face, you probably kind of think to yourself, oh, he's probably been in about 10, 20 things before this, but like, no, this is this is as early Defoe, as early leading man Defoe, more accurately, as it gets as well. So as with a lot of films I've sort of come to, this is a first-time watch for me. Chris, was this one that you'd seen before? Was this a first-time watch for you? And um, obviously we'll get more into it, as we always do with these episodes, but uh, what were your initial thoughts on The Loveless as well. No, like yourself, this was a first time watch for me. So yeah, first time I saw it was this week. It's it's an interesting film. Like I could I could I could easily see it not working for a lot of people because it's not a lot because not a lot happens basically. It's quite a minimalist film. Mm-hmm. But there's there's lots of things to be interesting in there. Like it's got um like it feels like a film made by a, a photographer because mm. it's got that that style. Like the film loves to hold a long frame beautifully composed frames and then yeah there's lots in there but just it's, it's just it's just one of those things you've got to brace people you have like don't expect a lot if anything to actually happen in the film you've got to be be, mm-hmm. be prepared for that so i did did maybe think a bit more was going to happen just because you think well it's a film you expect stuff to happen but it's, it's, it's yeah it's quite a curio yeah yeah definitely it's one of those like i suppose i went into this expecting you know just i'm gonna say quite broadly a bike gang film about you know causing some trouble going town to town maybe running in with the cops and stuff but i was i think kind of sideswiped almost by how i don't almost deliberately paced this is how slow this is and it was one of those he sort of keep thinking like hmm i feel like i was waiting for something to happen and it kind of felt like a lot of nothing was happening and then you see the foe's ball bag and then nothing else really happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was, so I, I suppose it, it almost in a kind of way, I was like, well, this is Defoe's first effort. It's the, the first, the directorial debut of Catherine Bigelow, as we say, co-directed with, uh, was it Monty Montgomery? Yeah, which sounds like a made-up name. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Like, it, who, it sounds like he's, like someone deep in the Prohibition era fell into a time machine and ended up in the 80s. But, like, he makes total sense for this film because, like, his kind of credits... So he he produced Wild at Heart. I think he's got, like, an associate producer credit on the first ever episode of Twin Peaks. He's in Mulholland Drive. And it's kind of like, this feels like, kind of, I don't know, David... Yeah, there's, there's a David Lynchness. Mm-hmm. to all of this and the fact that you can mm. imagine david lynch watching this going wow 
who directed this? Like, I, I got to get involved with these people. And then, <laughs> and then like, you find out Monty Montgomery, and he's like, hey, Monty, I, I, I got this film about a, about a guy in a leather jacket as well. Let's, let's make that film. And then, and then boom, that, like, Wild at Heart comes about. And then, yeah, teamed up again with Defoe as well. So this, uh, this won't be the only time we speak about Dear Monty. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm just kind of honestly hooked on his name, one of the most incredible names I've ever heard in my life. I'm still not entirely convinced that Monty Montgomery's not just like uh, a pseudonym for David Lynch and it wasn't actually him working on this film. Um, just like <laughs> him, him and a Stetson. It's me, Monty Mark. <laughs> him and a Stetson and a, a cigar, just like like the fucking singing crooner from I Think You Should Leave, just sitting side side on, just like, Hey, Catherine, I just want to try some stuff real quick. Do you mind if we just try this? He should put some ketchup on his eggs <laughs> <laughs> yeah just what if we held this shot of Willem Dafoe eating breakfast for about two minutes how about don't do a sex scene just have him lay on top of her just lay on top of her and leave the audience confused to how he was entering her because I know that that will confuse people and when I'm asked in interviews for what happened I will say no comments okay <laughs> He, I'm telling you, Monty Lynch Gomery, he had, he had a 10 year plan. (laughs) (laughs) If you Google image search as well, Monty Montgomery, there is a perfect photo of him wearing a a 10 gallon hat, a red (laughs) bandana around his neck. I think, I think it is him from Mulholland Drive. He's dressed like a cowboy. Uh, But it's, it's that, that, that for me, I don't care what he actually looks like. That, that's how he looks to me. He's a cowboy. He's, he's David Lynch dressed as a cowboy. <laughs> Let's go for another take, Catherine. I feel like he was a guy R.E.M. wrote a song about. You know, he's got that kind of name. <laughs> Did you believe Monty Montgomery directed a film? Directed yeah, yeah, I can hear it. <laughs> Shiny, happy Monty holding hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I just want David Lynch to sing... So, uh, REM songs. I mean, Lynch must have brought out an album by now, right? Yeah, he's got albums. Oh, I, think it's, I think it's him hitting pots and pans and going, you know what? It will leave them confused. And when they ask me in the interviews, I will say, no comment. REM standing for really entertaining Monty. Given this, <laughs> given this conversation, I'll have some more of that, please. Oh, oh. The Loveless, what a film. Like, I, I, so this was one of the ones as well that I think almost in a way I kind of bumped my expectations up a little bit because I, I was just looking out of curiosity as I usually do to see if the film's sort of out in the UK and I think it is in DVD form, but they have it on the Arrow Blu-rays in America. And I will say like the, the cover of the Blu-ray is just like Willem Dafoe, like an, like a sketched image of like Willem Dafoe, like head on on the uh, on the Harley chopper as well. It's it goes so hard. Mm. Like I I need to get like import like a region one Blu-ray player just so I can have that cover art because it's dis- disgustingly perfect, so sexy. But then that that poster as well. Have, have you seen the poster for this film, Chris? Where it's like Willem Dafoe, kind of leather jacket clad, no shirt on underneath, just looking sexy as all hell and like the loveless is written in pink and it's like i don't know i don't know whether in my mind i confused this like with like city on fire like i expected it to be a bit more brash and 
bold and like that's not to say that i didn't enjoy and we'll get into like like full feelings on it as we go but like this film was a lot more down tempo i think i had a similar view to you daryl in the thing i thought it was going to be like it's gonna be like yeah it's gonna be like rumble fish and the outsiders bit more like sure pace yeah. to it where like that kind of thing and like guys you know i mean there was going to be i don't know some kind of west side story style like flick knives at dawn kind of like against some other mm-hmm. gang or some preps or some socias do you know what i mean like ah let's fucking get them boys do you know what i mean like, a bit more of that instead of like them just going hey let's hang out in this garage all day and like do you know what i mean like i'm gonna smooch my girlfriend and like, hey 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 why why are you throwing that flick knife on my foot you nearly hit it hey 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 davis you doofus oh the jingo of the 50s <laughs> but I did, I did have the feeling watching it, like, no, it's just, it's all, all about to kick off. I had that yeah. like, throughout. Like, I was like, it can't be this this calm. It's going to kick off. It's edging the movie. I was watching part of it on the on the tube, and I was just like, is it safe? Because I had this feeling like Willem Dafoe was talking to, like, that old geezer in it. And I was like, I think Dafoe's probably just going to start sucking his dick. But I'm on the tube watching this. <laughs> And there's, there's, you know, like, but I kept feeling like something, some big, you know, no, no, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna mess with me. It's gonna mess with you, and it didn't. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. yeah. It's that thing I see. I see a lot of people say like, even for the short runtime, it feels a lot longer. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like kind of yeah. an exercise in like, hey, how can we, how can we make a film under ninety minutes yet make it feel like it's two hours long? Oh, we'll just like, we'll just focus on someone for like five minutes at a time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what, and I feel like the film as well, like you get that VO at the beginning that I read out earlier and it's kind of like, oh, it gets you excited. And then like that first encounter that Defoe has, right, with that, with that woman, you're kind of like, oh yeah, like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. who's this guy? Like, and it's kind of like you get more action. <laughs> it's like the film's like, here's your action. We're just going to slow it right the fuck down from here on out. It's like, I don't know. I thought we we're going to see how bad this guy is because I feel like this film, interesting because it feels like a, a film that could have just been plucked out from the 1950s. But like, it's interesting mm-hmm. that Catherine Bigelow directs it because it's like, it kind of shows you. And I mean, I'm, I guess that might be like the kind of statement because I know that Catherine Bigelow, before being a director, was an artist herself. So this kind of skewering and you see it throughout her films right like uh, point break and stuff like that like this skewering of masculinity and stuff like that and like just showing you like how kind of mundane and shit it probably actually was to be a greaser do you know what i mean like when you think of films like rebel without a cause and stuff like that or like like feel aforementioned films like rumble fish and stuff like that even though it does get into the the same subject matter of like the futility of it all like you have this kind of like you think you've got this like they, they've got this exciting life and like oh the good old days and it's like the good old days were fucking shit do you know what i mean as we kind of like <laughs> see all the time like on on social media when it's like back in my day we didn't have heating we just had one candle and we had seven of us living in one room and one bean to share with each other and it's like oh they were the good old days where they mate they sound fucking horrible do you know what i mean i've got central heating and top-notch wi-fi to watch whatever the fuck i want when i want <laughs> call me call me a privileged millennial baby i'll fucking take it yeah that's the problem with this generation petros uh dysentery <laughs> made a man strong when i was growing up <laughs> you live in a fucking avocados and three pound coffees you fucking doofuses 
there was that scene where um, Vance Defoe's character is in the diner, obviously waiting for the rest of the gang because he's just like a, a day ahead of them for whatever reason. And he's just kind of hanging around, drinking coffee in the breakfasts. And my millennial brain was just like, how do you not survive without like the grim reality of the internet? How do you not survive without like a fucking little device in your phone just <laughs> eating? It's because he's always so deep in his thoughts. He's got the thoughts. Like he's sat there like he's in the Green Day video for Time of Your Life, just looking you know, in the distance. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, that's his, 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 his like, yeah, I, I don't feel like I learned almost jack shit about this guy, to be honest. So you said, oh, he falls in love. And I was like, did he? I know. That's, well, according to the synopsis, yeah. he did. Like it, like it felt like because you have the the thing with films, you go, what's what's significant about this 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 moment for this character? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't think anything was. You know, it wasn't like this was the day that changed Vance's life. To me, it seemed like just another day, and then yeah. he rode on. Well, yeah, even the moment where you think there's going to be some kickoff, where like obviously he gets caught canoodling with. He gets caught laying his dick on some girl's bum, like by her dad, who like shoots up the tires of the car and stuff like that. And then, like even then, he catches up with him later, and he's like, "Hey, we've all got to get some, some, somehow, sonny boy." And he's like, "There's no like recourse. There's no like kickoff there." And it's like, like you were saying, Chris, it is that thing of like you feel like the film is going to explode at any moment, and it, you feel like. I don't know, is is Vance gonna is he gonna learn anything? Do you know what I mean? Even when we kind of get to the end of the film and he witnesses what he witnesses, you go, Oh, okay. Like, I don't think he's learnt from that. He's just gone like, Hey man, there's something cool I can think about when I'm eating my eggs in the morning. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's not like he's gone, I'm gonna learn from this and change my way or, <laughs> no. or, or grow as a human being. He's just going gristle for the mill for being a greaser man yeah but i I think we get i think we get spoiled by the scene you mentioned earlier with the woman in the car because that for me was by a country mile the best scene in the film there's 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 lots i could take away from that but it happening so early in the film made me think oh this is like a like a taster for this guy this wild at heart guy you know we've just seen a we've just seen a, a flicker of it but when it when we see it in full Oh, it's gonna. It's so, so yeah. Like it's because it's, it's quite. It's a, it's a lovely little hook, but there's there's no no delivery. Well, yeah, because they're, they're yeah. not even like uh, a nuisance to the town, are they? They're really? just dicks. They're, yeah, but yeah, they're, they're not they're like a bit loud. But they're just yeah, kids. It's, it's not like it's not like they're proper kicking off and people are scared of them. They're just kind of like, can we use a garage? And it's like, okay. Yeah, like just knock about in the garage for the day. Like it's not like people are like shielding their children and like crossing the street for these guys. Like I I can only assume that is what the film is trying to trying to show us. Right? Is these guys probably were just like you said, dicks that people just kind of went, oh, it's these dickheads. Like let's just get on with our day. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, like we can we can confront them. We'll probably get a flick knife thrown at our shoe, so it's not worth it. Let's just let them, let them, mm. let them cause, let them cause some mischief, and then, and then, hopefully by tomorrow they'll be gone or dead. Yeah, it's it's a great endorsement though, just for the power of the full breakfast, because they have a breakfast in them, and they're just they're good to go. And <laughs> <So, laughs> and a pile of sugar. He put a lot of sugar in his coffee. Mm. So this is what we mean, though. Like, was diabetes in the fifties a thing? I don't know. Probably not. 
probably probably adverts just uh, saying with every morning meal you should also have two cups of sugar five cigarettes blast some fucking coke up your ass as well it's the 50s do what you want there's no rules <laughs> well yeah this is the time when they were like health professionals were telling you to smoke cigarettes right they're like like <laughs> it's kind of going like if someone fakes give them a cigarette like it will get them yeah back. <laughs> yeah it's before the Heimlich maneuver was like if you see the woman choking put a cigarette at her mouth but was this before the time of seatbelts because I'm sure yeah. it was at the point where like the seatbelt came in I was like but I want to go through the window I want to hit that tree let me die um, and then the, the the so-called tolerant left came along well your seatbelts are a luxury beliefs I believe they called it yesterday <laughs> <laughs> oh god mm. but this, this is the thing though it's like I think like we're all the same, we're all expecting these bikers and these greasers to be, I'm going to say for lack of a better term here, villainous, dare I say, a bit more aggressive in their output. But they were just, obviously, the, all they want to do is just go to the races, uh, whatever that entails. And then there's another one of the, and I'll be honest, I barely caught any of like the gang's name. I, c- I could tell you one was called Davis, yeah. I think. Guy with the flat top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know top. Defoe was playing Vance until I looked at the Wikipedia page, to be honest. It went... Over. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of thing they're like. Vance is largely the cent- the, the focus point of the group. Davis has more lines than the others. Is it Demi who they've got with them as well? Um, I think take my uh, Tina Lahotsky, another fucking great name. Those are sort of the three main ones that I got. I only noticed Hurley because he had his name engraved on his belt book, and I was like, that's fucking lame. But also, I would definitely do that if I was a 50s greaser. I wouldn't yeah. even question it. And now? I would do it even now because exactly. I'm 32 years old. So what, else, what else have I got going for me at the moment? Well, you get you get that you get that guy who gets a few lines, but I have no idea what his name is. The guy who's like always like going like, Davis, you fucking missed. Like The, the one who gets his pants pulled down in the, by by Tarver's like later on the guy wearing the cap like yeah. but like did he have a SWAT sticker carved into his hand or did I make that up I'm sure he had a SWAT sticker carved into his hand you might want to talk to someone about that oh I don't know <laughs> if, if you're seeing SWAT stickers Daryl and they're not there I think I think that's a, I think that's the first sign that you're that you're a racist oh god well, I, I, so I, I called sure, the racism I wasn't sure if he was supposed to be wearing women's pants at the end because it happened so quickly and I saw they were quite colourful and I couldn't work out what the old guy was saying. And I was like, was that the, I clearly wasn't, but that was like, was he, was he, wearing, was he wearing knickers? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it was that or like he thought he was a communist because he had red pants on. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know what these commies do? They wear red pants. They wear red, they wear red, <laughs> red briefs. Yeah. Why was it, was it just like the fear of the time or did we get any reason for why old man Tarver was just so viciously against the group or was it just a thing to help move the story along i i think he's just mad at the world wasn't he he's just like kind of like yeah because he didn't like like there's a, there's a couple of black people in there he didn't like them either he just generally just didn't like anyone that wasn't himself uh, maybe his like... maybe his brother he had to like coerce his brother to like take out the commies as well yeah but maybe it just i don't know that was like a, a statement about like that generation at the time i don't bloody know he was just always gurning, just always like gritted teeth, always sweating. He just turned up at places. He just knew where Vance had taken um, his daughter, Talina, and just had a shotgun. And I will say, 
I've never seen a man react as little to a shotgun in his face whilst his hog is out than Vance. <laughs> I gotta get that's that, that's a crazy play. <laughs> Just stared him down as like, my cock and balls are out, old man. What are you gonna do? It, I feel like it is time for a feature that I've not told you about, Daryl, and Chris certainly does not know about this. So I want a trial for this episode. It's not going to be an every time uh, episode feature. It's going to be every now and then, and it is a little feature I like to call hog spotting. What hog spotting <laughs> entails is: Do we see Willem Dafoe's twig and berries? Do we see his dingle dangle? Do we see his dong? Do we see his schlong? Do we see his dick? Do we see his cock? Do we see his knob? Do we see his little boy, Willy, 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 in his pants? So I assume you are talking about his penis from all of that. Oh, yes, ladies (laughs) and gentlemen, I very much am. And I've got some timestamps for you. At 50 minutes and 20 seconds, we get a whisper of ball bag from Willem Dafoe as he's (laughs) laying upon a naked woman. A little Um, careless whisper. (laughs) At 50 minutes and 33 seconds, we get a full dangle from the rear. We get, as he's, <laughs> as he's lifting his body from above hers, we kind of get a full dangle between the legs. And by God, I I, I looked at it far too long that, than I should have done. And here we are. So this film, ding dong, Willem's dick is out in full force, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I'll be honest. That was that was a little surprise. The little um, we got some underbag. We got like some side shaft going on there. I think Willem Dafoe is probably one of the more again maybe if this is not the right term, the prominent male actors who does like is okay to get his hog out. Like, yeah, he, he he he's the not, full not to head the level of like Ewan McGregor back in the day. Harvey Keitel's one of them as well. If you've ever seen um, Bad Lieutenant, the Abel Ferrara version, it's like if you look at the poster for that film, it is him naked, and they've kind of like positioned some letters so it covers his dick. He's like fully kind of like wigging out, like knob just swinging about, drinking booze. Like, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, get, you get Kevin Bacon's little rasher out as well. That was a big one, wasn't it, in the nineties? Oh yeah, the Hollow Man dick. Yeah, Hollow Man Dick, and wasn't it? Um, Cruel Intentions is he in that, or something wild, or is something wild he's in, isn't it? He was in that. I think maybe he played Sam Lombardo in that film. Oh, perfect, perfect. But yeah, what 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 I particularly liked about that scene is I'm not sure if anyone else picked up on this. There is a great kind of like real physical acting from Defoe. He does when he rolls off the bed, he kind of like positions it in a way that like we don't get the full flap of the dick as he does it, and it's kind of like this perfect like only a theatre actor could do to kind of like. That one fluid motion like flops it, so it's just out of frame of the camera. <laughs> Maybe there is a version of this like let's crop this a bit, let's kind of go in a bit because we did get a full, a full, a full Defoe dick swing in this, and maybe that <laughs> that meant too much. What do you mean? First time out the gate, leading man. Let's get it all out on display. Listen, he was here to make a statement. My God, did he ever make a statement as well? I think collectively, though, our knowledge of like full hog in films is very impressive. And if we were ever in a pub quiz where there was like, this round is about a hog in movies, I'm thinking we're getting the full score. I think not since uh, more recently Steve-O from Jackass has hog knowledge ever been so prominent, especially on the... We are podcasting's greatest hog detectives. 
<laughs> we're basically gonna... the podcasting equivalent of the, the guys from Knocked Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we are, we are Mr. Skin. We, yeah, we are, we are Mr. Mr. Skin, but only, only for dicks. None of this misogyny here. We just want shaft, shaft and nuts. That's all we care about. Dig it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> book it it's the new spin-off um shaft the podcast coming very very soon <laughs> but the film that that scene though he, he it does it's a weird scene because it kind of toys with showing you more like when he's getting changed the the, the, the crop of the frame is like the yeah it's just below it's, mm. it's weird it's kind of like he's dancing around the camera with his nakedness a bit like like austin powers i guess but it's not at all like austin powers you know what I mean? They're, they're like, yeah. it's just, I'll just walk over here. Oh, you, oh, you missed it. You could have seen more. Like a, oh, oh, it's a weird scene. Weird, weird scene. Yeah. If only I had some way in the modern era to, I don't know, rewind. Yeah, it's it's a strange scene. I think the whole relationship though with like Vance and Talina is. It's kind of odd. It's like it just, I don't know. She's not introduced till about what is it about like half an hour into the film, maybe. Around about the 30-minute mark, she's just kind of turns up, her and Vance. Well, Vance is just like, can I drive your car for a bit? And then she's like, yeah, I guess. And then they just drive around on these um, American roads, and all they do is just insult each other, really. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know, this is this is 50s banter, I guess. He's opening line to her as well, and she says, like, have you got a cigarette? And he's like... I would give you one, but it would feel like a nonce doing it. It's like, okay, so you're going to proceed to do what you end up doing with her then? Do you know what I mean? He's like, you already questioned her age. And a question I had in this is, do you think Christopher Nolan has seen this film? Because he says to her, like, he basically says to her, how'd you get that scar? And she's like, she basically delivers the Joker's monologue mm. about like, well, I had an abusive dad and he said, I'm going to cut you from here to here. And I was like, that sounds awfully familiar. There's old Chrissy boy been there going, right, yep, stealing a bit of the old Monty Catherine Bigelow handbook there. Have that line. like. Well, he's, she, she starts sort of giving her kind of a backstory about her relationship with her dad, and then Vance is basically like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut the fuck up. Who cares? It's like, but you just asked me yeah. a question. It's like, yeah, but I'm bored now. Yeah. I don't drive it. I might just, it's the 50s. Might just crash your car for a laugh. And you'll probably survive because it was the 50s. Everyone survived. There was another weird scene with a car crash when, like, they're in that bar later on and everyone's just watching, like, a fucking You've Got Been Framed blooper reel of genuine car crashes going, Way. Wasn't it like the the breaking of the sound barrier then you get like the voiceover it's like and that's it ladies and gentlemen they broke the sound barrier I th- that might make more sense than they were just they, they, they just put fucking like gore and grot on just because <laughs> that's what you did if you had a projector in the 50s that makes more sense you've been framed of his day yeah <laughs> like do you know what do you know what be a great kind of thing for a party get everyone going let's spell rotten.com do you know what I mean do you remember that do you remember that for a curiosity oh, from early days of the internet it's like hey kids Generally, your parents don't know what this is yet. Just go watch a beheading on, on <laughs> online. Go watch, go watch car crashes. Go see some of the most horrific things you can see. And then oh, yeah. go out into the world and be uh, adjusted adults when you're Absolutely. older and get on the property <laughs> because you're not riddled with scars from the things oh, you saw oh on the internet. God. Like, to, you know, to quote old uh, Ben Kenobi, Rotten.com, there's a name I haven't heard in quite some time. <laughs> 
<laughs> God, a lot of suppressed memories just came to the surface then none are suitable for podcasting <laughs> none of them are suitable for a 10 year old either hey different time uh <laughs> windows 95 a dial-up modem in a dream baby <laughs> see the, the these people talk about having one bean to share between seven and, and a candle we have rotten.com baby do you know what i mean back yeah. in my day <laughs> yeah when we start back in my day it's like but granddad why do all millennials joke about killing themselves you weren't there you didn't see what i saw <laughs> you couldn't delete your history back then God, i'm sure that'll be fine in 30 40 years when we're talking to our grandchildren about about how we lived when the war the robots rose up I say it's just easy to be a greaser, isn't it? Just hang out in a garage and fix bikes and just throw stuff. Would you like this life, Chris? Would you like to kind of just knock about with your mates all day? Just yeah, no, not not really. I mean, it's weird. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. It look, it looks boring. Is generally the thing, and yeah. yet it's as you mentioned earlier. It's kind of like a boring version of what you imagine would be a really wild life. It'd be like if you watched like a a film they made about life during the early years of the Libertines, and they just sat around silently drinking a cup of tea or something like that you go like oh i thought it's gonna be more interesting than that with all the yeah, yeah. fucking eight stuff. No, no. <laughs> most of the time it was just sat around yeah Pete Doherty with an acoustic guitar going what do you reckon carl got this song yeah because you know I mean? yeah, they were writing songs they weren't <laughs> you know, which i guess is probably quite dull to watch you know generally <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Th- this film feels like the kind of like the in between of like when shit's kicking off. Do you know what I mean? Like the kind of like stuff you don't normally see to see where it's like what you would see is like a dotted map on the, the dotted line on the map of like they move from this town to this town. It's like we'll just show you what happened in, in that period. It's like, oh, okay. It's weird because the film feels essentially like a kind of remake of The Wild One with Brando, uh-huh. which I watched a couple of years ago. Because it's you know it's a fifties biker film. It's about these bikers that sort of descend on a small town and kind of take it over for a couple of days with their wild behaviour. And you imagine that if you're going to make the same kind of film thirty years later, it's going to be more more wild and crazy. Just because you think you know you can get away with more in the eighties than you can in the fifties, so it's going to be a bit grittier, a bit harder edge. But it feels a bit tamer. Really? Yeah, I think this is this is what we, we keep sort of saying, though, because I think maybe if I'm being overly generous in terms of, um, you know, if you want to get into, like, interpretation and all that, I mean, I don't know that there is particularly a massively deeper meaning to anything that we see here, but a lot of it, as we keep coming back to, always felt like it was um, like a calm before the storm, but at the same time, it never always felt like the storm was coming and sometimes it was the storm was like right there it's one of these weird things that like even now like i've had like 24 hours to sort of ruminate on the film a bit more i watched it last night at the point of recording and i still can't help this kind of idea of like i don't think i'm missing anything mm-hmm. but it's one of those that i'm kind of thinking like some of it was serviceable some like you can tell there's a lot of new actors in this you can tell it's a lot of new acting and in that kind of light i feel a bit more forgiving of it in some respects but at the same time i'm kind of like i almost don't really know what the point of the movie was to exist because it kind of felt i think as you said earlier petros like for a an 85 minute movie it felt really fucking long uh in stretches as well no, that there weren't good bits like the first ball bag. Great stuff, top quality stuff, five stars. But I'm just like, I don't know the names of the characters. There's not really any point 
for most of them to be there. We're just kind of hanging out and you start thinking, have I missed something? Have I just missed the point of what this film is? But then I start thinking, I don't know that I have. Because it just felt like, I got to the point, I'll say this much, um, I was kind of thinking like, well, how can I make this film a bit more interesting for myself? And I started thinking about it from the start and I was like, you could make a drinking game to this of every time Defoe unzips his coat because he zips and unzips that bad boy about 500 times. <laughs> so, if, so if you want to see, you know, a great um, video, the example of how to perfectly undo a leather jacket, cannot recommend The Loveless enough. Shrek and Defoe was like, uh, uh, what's my way in with this guy? He's like, I think I'm going to do something with a coat. I think, I think the jacket, I'm just going to zip it and unzip it like all, all, all the time. That would, that would be his thing. He's he's always ready to go. Do you know what I mean? He's going nowhere fast. So I've got to, he's, is he staying? Is he going? The coat, the zip's going up and down. We just don't know. He's, he's living so fast. He's got like a schizophrenic mind and the phone knows that which, which part of him is in in control due to the zip <laughs> maybe i don't know uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't cut out we could have we could have delved so much deeper into vance like i think what we learned about him is that he he met most of his gang or associates in prison whatever you want to call them got caught on the man act which i think was at the time taking a woman across borderline state lines for the purpose of uh, prostitution basically so he's a pimp he's he's basically he's basically a pimp so um in the life of vance it's not the first time he's caught with his cock and balls out on the open on the open roads hog on hog just going down the open roads wind going through his greased hair i think it's also an important note about um the foe in this movie as well that if you follow this along with heaven's gate this is technically the second movie in a row where Defoe has lied to get a role <laughs> Surprisingly, not brought this up sooner. Cash your mind back to Heaven's Gate, and he got a friend basically to fill out phonetically a speech in Dutch, a monologue in Dutch, because they thought he had like an Eastern European face. Like Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're not the only one. Mm. Um, then he got sort of caught out that he couldn't speak Dutch. He's like, no, I'm just doing this to get the role. Here, from what I sort of found in interviews he did with uh, Variety and GQ, which sort of talks about his movies. Catherine Bigelow and Monty Montgomery saw him during a Wooster Group performance, asked him if he wanted part of the movie. Obviously, at this point in his life, Defoe's unknown. No one knows who he is. He doesn't have representation, no management. He doesn't really know what he's supposed to be asking for. And then he admitted that, despite The Loveless being sort of a motorcycle movie, he'd never ridden one before. <laughs> um, he told Catherine Bigelow that he could ride, and he said um, he was basically just like, going into libraries trying to figure out how you ride a motorbike from books. <laughs> he was just taking off, ending up in people's back gardens. He did add that they quickly figured out that they couldn't ride, but his own words, they were patient with him. He did apparently eventually learn, although he adds that he's not worked with Catherine Bigelow since. So whether whether Catherine Bigelow forgives and does not forget, who's to say? But he never was... worked with her. He's never worked with her again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Could, have, it could have been great in some of her films. She went, no, 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 no. That guy's a liar. He's going to turn up on the Hurt Locker set. I can, I can defuse a bomb. And boom, that's it. No more than both times. Okay. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love... I can skydive. I read a book. <laughs> you know, like, I did what all actors do. You lie. You lie to get the role. 
Look, we've we've all lied on a CV at some point. I've bumped my grades up on CVs. I've said that I'm a good team player. I've <laughs> I've 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 been happy to work any hours on a CV before. You know, we've all done it, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm doing it right now. My CV's a litany of lies. <laughs> my, my CV doesn't even say Petros Patsilovas. <laughs> Yes, yeah, Steve Williams. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, 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 now that now that they're they're clamping down on these kind of like, oh, we need diversity in the workplace. They're clamping down on that, don't they? They don't want it. They don't want it anymore. So now, now I'm like, oh, great. Petros Patsilovas was getting me jobs before. I was, I was ticking a box. Now it's like, they don't fucking want it. <laughs> no, 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 no more jobs for you. Actually, um, <laughs> you've you've plateaued. You've plateaued yeah. in the job market. If if nothing else, the fun- <laughs> as as people would have you believe, the foreign names used to go to the top of the pile. I think now they're very much going to the bottom, aren't they? They're going, we've got enough. We've got. They've come over here, just needing our jobs. They, they jump it, uh, which was always the funny thing about me is I, I imagine like jobs would probably get me in, going, yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're ticking a box, bit of diversity, and then I turn up sounding like an East End fruit and veg seller. Do you know what I mean like, you're right, mate? So what's the job? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're gonna be doing this. Are we sorted? Wicked, mate. Yeah, you've been riding the diversity way for too long, actually, Petros. I'm <laughs> actually quite sick of it. I have. The, the, uh, this is this is how I get cancelled. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I better start drafting the 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 iPhone notes apology letter now. Sorry, guys. I've been I've been appropriating yeah. immigrant culture for too long. Yeah, I'm actually quite sick of it, and this was all a ruse to call you out at this stage <laughs> in season two. Uh, been building a case file against you. I'm sorry you had to see this, Chris. I'm sorry you had to witness this this, this very dark behaviour that transpire. Obviously, in, in in terms of obviously, you know, like what we what we talking about before and dark behaviour. Obviously, the film culminates in the scene in the bar. There's a waitress that does like a, a strip tease dance. Like that's a thing that happens. They watch the sound barrier car crashes, and then Tarver convinces his brother to. I think it is Ricky who gets attacked, and then gets thrown into a jukebox and knocked out and then davis just suddenly starts shooting tarver uh delana just turns up and starts shooting tarver well i don't think he shoots tarver it is it's 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 the daughter who shoots him and then davis just goes well, someone's fired a gun i'm just shooting bottles of booze behind the bar do you know what i mean like, oh, what about, I, I, I lost all respect for that man right then it's like <laughs> well, at least the bloody good booze <laughs> <laughs> No, it's supposed to be bandits. Fill up your bikes. Fill up your little your little side saddles. Get some booze for the road, boys. Don't, don't, don't waste. Don't waste it. Yeah, it's the fifties. There's no forensic evidence. There's no CCTV. You could kill fifty people. Probably the best time to do it. He said. <laughs> he said his eye twitching like they're going to find the body soon. I say this as a man who spent the the, the tail end of my 2022 being called Jeffrey Dahmer by strangers. So I'm allowed to make the murder jokes. All right. <laughs> No one's got more claim to murder than me. All right, um, but so, like Chris, like by the time um, I suppose the more pertinent question, the more pertinent question relating to the film, when it gets back to this scene at the bar and it's it's building up to this, it was a like fairly shocking scene with Telena when she goes back to her car. Did that sort of scene sort of start putting any pieces together to you? Do you think that sort of scene worked? What was your sort of take on? Um, I guess the culmination 
of the loveless. I mean, it, it didn't really feel like an organic finish. It felt like, like, well, we need something. It, you know, like when you watch the original cut of Clerks where Dante dies at the end, you go like, well, there's, there's, there's a murder at the end because we need something, you know, because people expect something and then credits. It almost had a hint of that about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it, it, did, it didn't feel like it was, it's all been carefully laid in all the pieces. I mean, yes, she, she didn't like her dad and he didn't like anyone. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, but it, it 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 didn't feel cleverly constructed. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I, I I would pretty wholeheartedly agree with that. I think from the start to the finish, you know, it kind of sets you up when you um first see Vance and he's helping that lady at the side of the road. And I suppose this is the part of the film when I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to try and quickly acclimatize to all this like fifties lingo because when he was helping that like older lady and he was like um. You got any loose change, ma'am? I was like, I thought it was literally this was his mother that he just had to chance upon. And then he sort of quite literally stole a kiss and grabbed the tit. And I was like, okay, I don't think that's actually his mom. I think this is just the slang of the time. And then it just carries on and everything feels quite plateaued. And yeah, maybe I think like I said, maybe it's offering a different take on the 50s subculture. But And then for me, I was the same. I was like, oh, there's a fight. There's a shootout. The Italian just shot herself in the mouth. The film's over. And the whole thing for me was like, oh, mm. yeah. Well, I think what the film does like capture is that thing. And I think that's like, something we've kind of skirted around it or said outright. It's like, it does capture that thing, especially when you're younger, where like you feel like you feel like something is going to happen. Like those kind of boring, like, summer's days like jumping with the six weeks off and you're hanging around with your friends and it's like it does capture that mood of like something big is gonna happen do you know what i mean like i don't know someone's gonna be like hey i've just like I've, I've, i don't know I've, my parents for some reason like have given my birthday money early with we're, we're going to do this cool thing or like I've, I've just got a skateboard let's like sit on it like down a half pipe or something like that like do some dumb stuff like it kind of captured that that vibe and i could kind of like mm-hmm. I can respect it on the fact of, yeah, it's not trying to be the wild one. It's not trying to be rebel without a cause. It's not trying to kind of do all of that stuff. And it probably is trying to where it could have been like, let's be more debauched than those films where it's going, well, let's skewer that and show you what life actually was like as these guys. And like, let's not make you feel like they're heroes let's not make you feel like they're villains let's just paint them mm. down the line kind of here is just a portrait of these people as opposed to really try i don't think i don't feel like the film tries to make you feel either way about the characters did did, did that did that ring true to you chris do you feel like the film is trying to like lead you in any either direction as like these guys are supposed to be cool or they're supposed to be villainous in any way well, I think a little, I'm thinking about how, like you said, like Bigelow was an artist prior to this. And it's almost like somebody saying, oh, well, I'm going to make a film, but I'm not going to go into all the cliches. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go where people expect, you know, because the film in some ways is more of an exercise in style and composition than in, in, in terms of storytelling or narrative. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I feel like that's the, the artist's approach. Like, oh, well, it's it is it is essentially like a a wild one or a kind of rebel without cause vibe, but going but yeah, but I I don't I don't need all that drama 
I'm gonna do a do a do a spin on it. So I feel like, and and I always wonder if maybe they sat in the editing room and went, yeah, it was a bit dull actually. <laughs> and then well, it, she, she went on to make some sort of more interesting films. It felt like to me, like it kind of had the vibes to me of Twin Peaks, but it's just like taking all that kind of interstitial stuff that David Lynch films. Do you know what I mean? Just like the people in the diner and stuff like that, and be like, let's just get rid of all of the Dale Cooper and all of the kind of mystery and intrigue of that and just give you like 72 minutes of just like the kind of, do you know what I mean? Like, people just pouring coffee and people just sitting around and it's like oh okay it just felt like do you know what I mean like you wanted the lead characters to walk in and like the plot to be pushed forward or something to happen it's like mm. nope we're just getting do you know what I mean we're just getting that stock footage of like central perk before like the outside of a building before we get like the people inside talking or whatever do you know what I mean <laughs> this film is the equivalent of the stock footage set in the scene in friends yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You're hearing that. You're hearing the. You're hearing the bow, 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 bow. But you're not hearing Jerry and George like have, having a discussion about like neuroses that they have. It's just if George sat alone in the restaurant, yeah. just drinking his coffee. Ah, and Jerry, yeah, yeah. We don't get. We don't get like. We don't get like Jerry. This girl, her dad. He's coming. He, he came for me. I was. I was laying on top of her naked, Jerry. Like you don't get any of that. You do like. You don't get. You don't. You, you don't even. Yeah, you don't even get Vance in this kind of like saying to his friends. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, fucking hell, I had, a, I had a near scrape with this. Like, it's kind of everyone's really insular and live in their own plots. But then it's like none of it really i don't know but yeah by the time you get to that end and telena shoots herself it's like oh does anyone like he, the, the one person who could care about this is vance and he does not look like he gives a shit so how are we as an audience supposed to do you know what I mean buy into that and be like affected yeah, yeah. by it in some way yeah i mean I, I think with this sort of conversation that we're having now it's probably an apt time to start wrapping up on the loveless with our uh final thoughts but of course when we do our wrap-ups there are three particular bits of information that we must address starting with willem defoe's deface does he do deface in the loveless chris as the guest we go to you first was there a deface in this one for you uh yay or nay yeah i i saw it when he went in the shop that was the moment where he says oh i'm not as wide as you think and you got that you got that you got the look the, the, you know, the smile there and that was that was the moment i recognized what i would say is the face hmm. interesting i suppose i didn't really consider that actually so i may have to reconsider my answer but petros same question for you the face yay or nay well, I didn't pick up on that, so I'm going to have to say no deface for me. I, just because I feel like this, you can see Defoe working it, like working stuff out in this. Like even the fact, like I kind of had to rewind at the beginning, and be like, oh, like it doesn't even sound like his voice. Do you know what I mean? He hasn't really like. There's that lilt that he usually has. It isn't there. I guess as he's kind of got older, he's just a lot more comfortable using his own voice, or it is he's just younger and stuff like that but like yeah like the voice the voice is there and like the, the face a lot of it he's just got to look moody and brooding for, for for most of it so it's like he doesn't get chance to, and he doesn't emote to anything do you know what i mean like he, he, he <laughs> like you said even when there's a shotgun fired he doesn't like go like a big gun or anything like that he's just like it's another day of being a greaser but you, but you get a hint of the sort of manic laughter at the end of the scene where he grabs that woman's 
tits. Yes, yes, that maniacal laugh as he walks off is mm. great. They're like, yeah. oh, there he is. There's the yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we just don't <laughs> see the face. I'm sure if we saw the face, we would mm. we'd be like, there we, there we fucking go. Yeah, there is the shell of the chick that will one day hatch into Willem Dafoe. So obviously, the, um, as we've sort of said, this is the, the first feature for Dafoe, so probably in many ways still much more the theatre, the Wooster Group Dafoe, than the movie Dafoe that we will come to know and love as years go by. So I think on the whole, no deface for me. I mean, there was a lot of... You know, very beautiful close-ups of the man who like that like at the start of the cigarette just sort of like balanced delicately the side of his mouth, but nothing quite too manic. Like we said, he's doing a voice, he's obviously probably thinking about hitting his marks, remembering his lines. So on the balance of things, I would say there is uh no deface in the loveless. But what we'll ask next it is uh does Vance, does his character Vance have BDE Big Dick Defoe energy. So in this one, we're not talking about Willem Defoe. We're purely talking about the character of Vance. Does Vance have BDE? Uh, Chris, where do you stand on that one? No, he does not. Is my my reading on the guy? Like I, I'd say the opposite. Like he, I get Sport. the, I get the feeling he's like a guy who's because he's he's got that sort of pretense of all, all moody and silent. Like, like he's a, like I'm real. I'm you know I'm deep. You know, I'd, I'd say he's more of a potsy than a Fonz, even though he's trying to be the Fonz. You know, like he's he's got the vest. Like at the start, you see him in the vest, but it's, it, it looks more like a kind of vest you'd wear in like primary school, which could be like his skinny frame. But it just seemed a bit. It didn't seem like Vin Diesel wearing a vest. <laughs> it looks like a oh a tough guy vest, but yeah. it didn't look like that with him. It looked like a like a weedy guy vest. <laughs> a cold schoolboy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like his mum's gone, oh, <laughs> yeah, you didn't you didn't bring his gym stuff, so he's got to do it in his pants and vest. <laughs> Come on, William. Yeah, what what a weenie Vance actually was. So no BDE for Chris Petros. Same question. I think the way that he carries himself, he doesn't exude any big dick energy in this. Do you know what I mean? Like he's kind of like He's like you said, like he's 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 courting a woman. He just tells her, to, he just tells her like to fuck off, basically. And like I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear about it. That's pretty small dick energy. Do you know what I mean? He's like, come on, have a bit more respect. I know it's like the times, like the nineteen fifties. That was that was derogate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the thing to do. But it's like, nah, like. I don't know, as much as like there are cool shots of him. Do you know what I mean? Vance looks like a cool guy as he's riding his hog. He's like titting up a woman and stealing her money. That's small dick energy, bro. Like, come on, Vance. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200. Straight to jail for you, my man. <laughs> Another year in the clink, daddy, huh, for you. <laughs> yeah, I think I have to completely concur. Very, very small BDE, if any at all. I mean, you could make an argument that staring down a shotgun blast while absolutely stark as naked is pretty manly. Again, it was the times, but, you know, all all style over substance. He watched a, a woman clearly in distress who tried to open up to him, shoot herself in the mouth, felt nothing, and just went, went to the next town. Uh, pretty small dick. And, and and this is crazy where this is a film where we actually see Willem Dafoe's little dick. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, 
you get a glimpse, but it's just, uh, you know, sometimes things just aren't the way you imagine them, you know? Sometimes life co- comes at you with a, a curveball or curveball bags, if you will. Um, and that's that's the way it gets you. But we move on to our final rating, the most important rating, as well as our final thoughts on the film. And of course, for new listeners, we don't just give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. No, no, no. In classic Willem style, we rate our movies as either the friend or the foe. And Chris, we go to you first yet again. Your final rating and takeaway on the Loveless for you is it the friend or is it the foe? I'd say ultimately it's a the friend. Like it's not a it's not a bad film if you take it on its on on, on the grounds for which it exists. I guess like it's it's a cheap early work. You know, and from what I read, it was filmed very quickly. Yeah, not much really happens. But I did appreciate. I did once I kind of settled into the vibe and was able to appreciate the the nuance and the look. I liked it. I just, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure I will never watch it again. I will probably forget I ever watched this film. But I I found stuff I appreciated in it. Ultimately, yeah, very fair, very fair, very amicable. So that is one the friend for the loveless Petros yourself, the friend or the foe. Oh, this is a really difficult one because. I totally agree with the points that Chris has made. Like as, as a kind of like the completionist brain in me, it's like, right, that's, that's a Catherine Bigelow ticked off the list. It's obviously a Defoe ticked off the list. Uh, the whole, the whole reason for this podcast, watching them all, but, and like almost despite myself. And I know that some of it is my own foibles of the thing of like, I came into this film with expectations and they didn't meet my expectations, which is mm. never how you should come to a film, I think. I think you should meet the film on its merits and what it is trying to do and being like, well, well, it's not this. It's not kind of the making the greasers look cool. It's not the poster image. It is a kind of more detailed portrayal and maybe more honest portrayal of what it was like for these guys. And like, I really respect it for that, but on just like a pure enjoyment level and whether I'm going to like come back to it, I've got to, I've got to go Defoe on this one. Despite, despite myself and my kind of film bro ways that I can get, get, get onto on this pod. It's yeah, it's it's a Defoe from me. So one Defriend, one Defoe Uh, for me, I think obviously both, you know, very fair and very accurate points. Like if you sort of take it as it is, there's there's this thing to appreciate about it. As we, you know, we hammer the same point. This is as early Catherine Bigelow as you can get. It's early as Willem Dafoe as you can get. So it's an interesting kind of like time capsule piece in a way to see, um, you know, where they were in their careers at that time. It's interesting for, I guess, like the Bigelow and or Dafoe completionist uh, and to sort of to see how far they've both come in their storied sort of careers as well. But I think, again, I, I think I agree with what you said here, like the, the foibles of it all, expecting something more. And I think in some kind of way for me, I was almost expecting just the opposite kind of biker movie and expecting some, I don't know, some forgotten classic that people have just stopped talking about in the last 40 years. But it kind of... It wasn't in any way what I expected, and it was just long periods of not really anything, and I didn't feel like you could really gel with many of the characters. And so I think I on on the on the scales of balance and 
I think I have to give this one a Defoe for me personally as well. Again, it's it's interesting as a time capsule piece for me to see, you know, this is where we started. This is everything that has come since. But I think likewise with you, Chris, I just don't know that I will ever watch this one again um, unless someone else starts a Defoe podcast and invites us on um, <laughs> to speak about The Loveless. That'll probably be the only reason I would ever watch this again. So with that said, we end The Loveless. Wonder friend two defoes the first time us against the guest as well on this pod we 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 we're, we're pushing our guest out on a dinghy going fuck you do you know what I, I mean to, to... i guess i'm just loveless hey, hey, hey. <laughs> that's to, what i'm talking to, about to reference a film by Catherine bigelow's uh future husband uh, uh the point of this film james cameron we are Rose and you are Jack. We're stealing that door and we're pushing you out into the cold, cold water, Chris. I do apologise, but at the same time, fuck you. <laughs> there is room for two of us in that door. I'm afraid you didn't make the cut, my friend. <laughs> so, but with that said, we once again say uh, thank you to Chris Johnston for joining us to talk about The Loveless. A pleasure to have you. Um, and for the dear listeners, where can we find you on the interwebs, the socials, the podcastings? And all that good business as well. Uh, I do a podcast called Easy Riders Raging Podcast. It's a retro film podcast where we sort of do a series on a decade of films. Um, so currently we're looking at 80s films and TV. Yeah, I guess you can find us on all good podcast places. You know, your, your Overcast, your Apple, your Spotify. And on Twitter at at ERR Podcasts. And also, oh, and also I've got a podcast called The Spielberg Pod, where we talked about all the films of Steven Spielberg, which... I do less because we kind of did them all. <laughs> but there's still, there's always new content on the Spielberg pod too. So that's, yeah, same same place. Fantastic. Well, thank you again very much for taking the time. All the links down in the description as per usual. So we wrap up here. We rev up our bikes to go straight down the US 17 onto the next diner, onto the next adventure, onto the next garage. And it's left for us to say, I've been Daryl. I've been Petros. And I've been Chris. And we've been getting to foe you. There we go. Episode three in the bag. The engine of the bike is switched off. But what an experience it's been bolting on down that highway. I feel like I look good in leather. Maybe too good, some might say. <laughs> and now, you know... Here, here we are, a little couple of couple of chopper boys, couple of cool cats, couple of Harley Davidson Defoe daddies. That's us. We're kind of rolling into your town. We've got we got a pack of cigarettes rolled up in our sleeve. We got our hair slicked back. Uh, for listeners who don't know, I have no hair, but it's still slicked back, baby. <laughs> hairs, like, hairs on my back, a slick back. Um, and this this, this episode is this episode was a was a first for the pod. It's the first time me and you ganged up on our guest and disagreed with them <laughs> listen it was keeping in the vibe of being cool 1950s bikers as absolute defoe daddies clicking our fingers down the streets comb <laughs> switchblades flicking out brushing our hair slick back popping bottles on the beach as you do but yeah <laughs> it's a first 
as we said in another earlier episode of the season, great power, great responsibility, and sometimes your guest is just wrong. We've got some devil may care attitudes. We're a couple of couple of cool fifties guys. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even smoke or I'm attending to smoke an air cigarette right now. That's how fucking cool I am. It's the sexy season. God damn it. How many times have I gotta tell you? But no, very, very fun episode. We thank you to uh, Chris Johnson again for joining us. Uh, what a delight it was to have him on boards thank you obviously dear listener for listening as well and of course as we always do with our thank yous we thank you to matt for editing the episode you know taking these harley chumps into harley champs he makes us loveless feel a little bit more loved at the end of the day without matt here we would be broken down on the side of the road, but he is there to come in with editing skills to change our tyre and tit us up and rob our money in the best possible way with those fine, <laughs> fine, fine chopping skills. <laughs> he is the uh, the honorary Defoe daddy, and don't you forget it. <laughs> but we've got some more episodes coming up in the season. So Petros, who is joining us on the Defoe Motion train next week. And what the devil are we watching? So, we will be taking a trip to 1999 to talk about the Boondock Saints. And we'll be joined by a perfect guest for this episode. We're talking all things post-Tarantino, a film that possibly doesn't get made without the works of the aforementioned Tarantino. And we are joined by a man who hosts the... Church of Tarantino podcast, the Dropping of Bruce podcast, and the Cheeky Bastards podcast, Scott Croucher. Oh, yes, indeed. The definitive Tarantino podcast joining us next week, and it's going to be an absolute banger, rest assured. But until then, get in touch with us, reach out, tell us what you thought of The Loveless. We told you at the top, we'll tell you again Petros, where can we be found on the open highway that is social medias? Oh, you can pop into our truck stop anytime on the following social medias, which are Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at DefoeUPod. Or if you want to keep it old school, daddy-o, and drop us an email, you can do so, which is DefoeUPod at gmail.com. Always remember to be a friend, never be a Defoe and to rate us a lovely five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. Delightful stuff. So with that said, we thank you again, dear the listener, for listening. We will see you next week as we cover all the highs, all the lows, and all things Willem Dafoe right here on Getting Dafoe You, a dedicated Dafoe podcast. So until then, these Defoe de Daddios are out. Bye-bye. Let's split, baby. (laughs) Getting to Defoe you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. Getting to Defoe you, we'll start with Heaven's Gate. And we'll watch them all till the present day.